right, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Going over the debate between three of the four top U.S. Senate candidates here in North Carolina. Uh, that would be Mark Walker, Marjorie Eastman, and Pat McCrory. Ted Budd did not attend the debate that was held on Saturday afternoon in Raleigh. He was down in Florida at CPAC. And according to uh, the report at WRAL, uh, they did not want to uh, debate until candidate filing ends, which will be noon on Friday. I Look, I've heard a lot of reasons why people don't debate. Like this, this strikes me as a, as a fabrication. I, like, I don't understand why, oh, like, well, I don't want to debate now because, you know, someone else might jump in. And that's going to change things how? Seriously, like why? Like someone's going to come in and it's going to force all of the other people out and then you're going to have to have another debate? Oh my gosh, another debate. I I don't, yeah, I don't understand the argument. It it doesn't follow as to why that would be the rationale. Anyway, um, next question. This was on how to address the federal debt. And uh, we're going to start with McCrory here, but this then, uh, well, you'll hear. McCrory, I think this sounded like he might have been caught not paying attention. I'm not sure. All right, but here we go. He's going to start off by saying, stop giving out all the money. Uh, we got to quit giving out free money. The late P.J. O'Rourke had a famous saying, if you think health care is, if you help, think health care is expensive now, wait until we offer it for free. And that is so true. We've been giving out free money. The one thing that got me into this race off the sidelines is when the federal government, the Washington insiders, did the exact opposite of what I did as governor. And that is we started paying people more not to work than to work. And in 2013, when I became your governor, I did just the opposite. I lowered the unemployment compensation so people would get back to work. Three months after I did that, among Moral Monday protesters in the thousands, we had the largest drop in unemployment in the United States of America. And yet Washington repeated that same mistake that previous administrations did, we'll pay everyone off and give them free money and put that burden on future generations. It's got to stop. It's got to stop now. I've done it. I'm the only one on this stage that's made that tough decision including the person to my, not on my right. <laughs> Another dang it, bud. Should we give a minute to the empty podium? Ah, there it is. <laughs> well, I'm really glad you asked this. And as I met with both of you before we started today, my little boy is with us. Um, and when we talk about the deficit and we talk about future generations, I know all about them because I'm the mom in this race. And I look at that little boy and I think about what can we do? It's the will to do it. You have to send the right people who are not afraid to fight, who are not afraid to hold the line. So when I think about who are those people, how about people that have actually had to manage budgets? And I've had to manage budgets in my life. You know, oftentimes we look at a voting record or I did this when I was at this office or that when I was elected at this, but your life story tells a story as well, and that's important. 
And as a mom, you better believe that is going to be my priority because I look at that little boy every day and our children don't deserve this deficit and this reckless, reckless spending, the excessive spending from Democrats. Uh, Mark Walker then says he doesn't have to make any promises because he's already done it. And then he talks about the personal costs uh, to voting against spending up in D.C. Yeah, I don't have to promise or tell you what I'm going to do. I've done it. And I fought hard to get those ballots, budget amendments. And there's a cost when you stand up and fight for something in Washington, D.C. And though I was elected by my colleagues to some strong leadership positions, Three times I was picked over on the ways and means by underclassmen. Do you know the reason why? Is because I refused to vote for one of those omnibus or massive spending bills. Wouldn't do it. Even though I know that it would come to personal costs. And even though I wouldn't have the D.C. Super PAC or special interest money because I drew a line in the sand. And, and listen, we have good conversations and I hear the, the former governor talking about we've got to do this and we've got to do that. I'm the only one on this podium that had the guts to call out our two U.S. two U.S. senators when they dared vote for that sham infrastructure bill. You got to do more than talk. You got to hold our own accountable. Governor Corey, rebuttal for thirty seconds. Oh, did he refer to me? <laughs> <laughs> I missed the refer. Did you refer to me? Tom? I just basically said, and I thank you for the extra time. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, but yes, I said part of calling out or holding the line is we as conservatives must hold our own accountable. And I am the only U.S. candidate that publicly has called out our U.S. senators when they vote for these massive spending bills. It takes more than talk. It takes action. Uh, that's actually false. I did call out the senators on the infrastructure bill. After they, they voted had, for they it. They had union requirements. And I also well, I'm how, the only candidate here actually. Hang on. So how was he supposed to call them out for their support of the bill before they voted to support the bill, right? Like, don't you call them out and say they shouldn't vote, they should not have voted that way? Or is, is he arguing that there needs to be a pressure campaign brought to bear beforehand? Is that the idea? But, I mean, you did say, like, I'm the only one that called them out, and that's not true. McCrory says he did, too. So Cut taxes. Cut your income taxes by a lot. I cut, I cut, I, I, turned surp, I turned deficits into surpluses. I inherited a $2.3 billion deficit in unemployment and left Governor Cooper with a $4 billion surplus. No one else on this stage has come even close to successful achievement that made a difference in our state and in our nation and jobs in North Carolina. Ms. Eastman? I'm not going to respond to that. Let's do the next question. That is probably one of the oddest surrenders of free time that I've ever heard or seen in a debate. You you were just offered like 30 seconds to comment about this topic, and you could have gone anywhere with it because it wasn't even really about you, right? They were going back and forth about, I'm the only one who did this, and I, I did this, and you could have... You could have used the time, but she just, let's go to another question. It's just odd to me. I don't know. Um, but I suspect what happened there with McCrory, I, don't, I think he got caught not paying attention to the end of the answer. I think he was, I don't know, writing notes or something. But he missed Walker's dig at him. And so when he got the rebuttal time, he completely bricked. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. 
So this back and forth between Walker and McCrory over uh, whether or not McCrory called out U.S. Senators Tom Tillis and Richard Burr over the bipartisan infrastructure deal, uh, as well as, you know, McCrory's claim that I'm the only one that cut taxes. And Walker's like, no, we did, too, under uh, President Trump, remember? And so they were going back and forth. McCrory uh, didn't hear that Walker had attacked him. So when he got offered for the rebuttal and he's like, oh, what did you mention me? And then Walker got another bite at the apple. Um, then they go on to the next question, which was about Senator Rick Scott's 11 point plan if the Republicans retake the Senate. And specifically cutting the federal workforce by 20 percent and making sure everyone pays some taxes. And here's how Walker responded. Initially, I believe. I'm not sure why that's not playing. Let me follow up by correcting the former governor. He's not the only one that we actually part of the leadership that put tax reform into play that lowered people's taxes across the country, not just in North Carolina. So I want to make that correction there. I applaud Senator Scott, uh, Rick Scott. Uh, In fact, I think he needs to be the majority leader instead of Mitch McConnell uh, moving forward. I will also add this part of it. Uh, When we did tax reform, we want to make sure that people that are working at their low income brackets have a chance, the same opportunities that everyone else does. So we want to make sure that even though I approve Senator uh, Rick Scott and some of the work that he's doing, I'm not there to say that every single person should pay taxes. I believe if you have an income, then absolutely you should do. I was part of the farm bill that put taxation as well as 20 hours a week requirements for any 18 to 59 year old able-bodied adult with no disabilities. So yes, we want to make sure, but before I sign on to blanket statements, I want to make sure that it's best for all North Carolinians. All right. Bureaucracy is the problem in virtually every large organization, according to McCrory, But it's especially a problem in government. Well, first of all, Rick Scott's a good friend of mine. He and I served as governor together. He's a great governor of Florida, and he's a great U.S. senator at this point in time. But what we don't need to do is talk about the need for more income taxes for anybody at this point in time. The problem's not needing more money. The problem is spending. And I've given you an example of giving free money out to everyone. I do know this. There's still a lot of fat in the bureaucracy. There is, as uh, Donald Trump often mentioned, this this bureaucracy, and I know it as a governor, I knew it as a mayor, and you've just got to start. When I became governor, I found people working in the unemployment division on unemployment. I found people that hadn't shown up to work in three months or five months or six months. We had to go hunt them down. There, are, there is a bureaucracy in every large organization, especially government, which you've got to toss out the non-productive people and demand more efficiency. And I did that as your governor in reducing spending in many areas and also reducing a lot of corruption that we had in DOT. All right. Next up, East, uh, Marjorie Eastman. Does she support Rick Scott's plan? So it's so funny. Both of these guys are like, well, I know Senator Scott and he's my good friend and this and that. But you know what I want to say about Senator Scott, which is really amazing? He's one of the 17 senators that's a veteran. And I know him too, by the way. And let me tell you about veterans. 
Let me tell you about veterans. The last time we had a combat veteran as a U.S. Senator here in North Carolina, he served in World War II. It is time to send someone that has that boots on the ground wisdom in dealing with these issues. And I am glad that Senator Scott said, hey, I have a plan, because he's a businessman. I'm a businesswoman. I have a plan, too. I like that. That's exactly what we should be doing. So yes, we need to be cutting taxes, not creating them. And when I say limited government, I mean, that's the idea. Yes, let's cut. We need limited government. So Senator Scott's a great person, isn't he? <laughs> I don't think he's endorsed anybody. Yeah, I know. You guys are working on it. Including his great friends. The other Senator Scott has. He's endorsed us. Oh, my goodness. That was just awkward. That was. I'm sorry. That was. It was awkward. I don't know what the point of that, like, that last thing. Rick Scott's a great guy, right? Like, I don't get that. And the the pivot to, you know, it's it's amazing is he's a veteran like me. It's like. Okay, the question was about his plan if the Republicans retake the Senate and cutting the federal workforce and making sure everybody pays taxes. What do you think of the plan? And she didn't answer the question. She just said, Rick Scott is a veteran and I'm a veteran and we haven't had a combat veteran as a U.S. senator and so we should have that and I'm the only one that could fill that role. So isn't Rick Scott great? And then, of course, Walker with the, you know, he hasn't endorsed anybody. And then she gets the dig in at them. But I, I did find it funny, like, she started off with this comment also, like, you're, uh, oh, they're both trying to get his endorsement. They're like, oh, I know him and I know him. And then she says, yeah, and I do too. Okay, well, then what was the point of the initial dig? Why are you going after them for saying that they know him when you just did too? I, I don't, I don't know. The whole answer kind of just left me a little confused. Um, but I look, I also understand she's not a career politician, right? She keeps saying that. So I guess this is, you know, part of the deal. I assume. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT going over the Senate debate that was held on Saturday up in Raleigh. Three of the top four candidates appeared. Ted Budd did not. Pat McCrory, Mark Walker, and Marjorie Eastman were the the three that did participate. And uh, here's an email from Sharon who says, Pete, thank you for covering the debate. This is great information. I have a big decision to make. Yeah, we do. And this is, uh, this race could very well determine who controls the U.S. Senate. So who Republicans pick, or I should say voters pick in the primary to go up against Sherry Beasley and the you know, financial juggernaut that is backing her, um, it's going to be a vital decision. J.D. says, Pete, uh, on veteran candidates, as much as I appreciate veterans for their service, it by no means indicates they will make a good senator. I may not be exactly the same, but it is similar to saying that a particular skin color or gender should be considered. Look, I think it makes a lot more sense. Um, well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, it's a it is a qualification, right? It is it's part of a resume. 
but I, I don't like the over-reliance on it. That's what, that's what's kind of, eh. and you're going to hear it come out when she goes after McCrory um, over this, you know, were you a veteran? It's what she says to him at one point, because he welcomed her to North Carolina and to the Republican Party, making the point that she is new to both, right? which is perfectly within the realm of fair play. It's a fair line of attack. Hey, you just moved to this state. Hey, you just registered as a Republican. Now, it kind of blew up on him a little bit because she claimed that the reason why she was registered unaffiliated was because there's this long tradition that if you're in the military, you register as an unaffiliated, which I was not aware of that, but I'm not a veteran either. So I was unaware of that. Maybe he was too. So, uh, it is a qualification, and um, like I know somebody who has said, especially for president, they look for somebody with military experience because if they're going to be running the military, they think it, that that's an important qualification. Um, and a lot of people do, by the way. So what criteria, uh, they were then asked, what criteria would you use to consider Biden's new Supreme Court pick? What questions would you ask? What are you looking for in a nominee? And McCrory said they got to follow the Constitution, not make law. Uh, and then he, you know, slammed Biden for uh, not following the law or the Constitution with regards to illegal immigration. Um, Mark Walker said uh, it should be based on merit, not immutable characteristics. And then Marjorie Eastman uh, here, yeah, clip 16 says, uh, Look, she's looking for somebody that follows the law and is qualified. I would say you found something we all agree on pretty consistently here. We want the next person that serves on the Supreme Court to be someone that follows the law and, and, and doesn't interpret, follows the Constitution. They need to be qualified, period. Don't put anything else behind that. Just qualified, right? And so that's the idea. You, ha- you know, I would take this part of the of this role of being a U.S. senator very seriously, because that is one of the you know very few defined you know aspects of being a senator that's important. And so, absolutely, it has to be someone that follows the Constitution. Period. All right, I kind of get the sense that she was vamping for time. Look, I work in radio. I know how that goes. You got to try to tap dance a little bit. She didn't even make it to the one-minute mark. She only used 42 seconds. So, and a lot of the stuff that she said, it didn't really, it, she just said qualified and follow the Constitution. Like, that's it. So, the follow-up then came from Jonah Kaplan, uh, one of the moderators, uh, saying, would you reject a nominee because they have a different public policy leaning than you? Is qualifications that is that more important what are you asking them in the confirmation hearing he's asking for specifics what what kind of thought have you paid to this whose turn is it where do you want us to start let's start with you miss eastman look they also when you look at qualifications you know are you going to be impartial are you going to read through and interpret the law as it's written i mean that's what it's about uh, you know, you don't want anyone that wants to legislate from the bench. And we, we all just covered that. We all talked about that. So that's what's important. It's a constitutional republic that we're fighting for. It's 
what Ben Franklin said when asked when he came out of a Constitution Hall in 1787, what have you given us? A republic, if you can keep it. That Constitution is a protected document. It's something that all other worlds and governments have strived to do but have never mastered because I believe that it was God-ordained that these men would come together at that particular time. Did we get it all right day one? No, but the great thing about America is that we never quit trying until this became the land of opportunity for every American. So if this lady is not interested in following the Constitution, she would never have my vote as U.S. Senator. And I will tell you, I think there's already enough background to let me know that I would never vote to confirm her or anybody else who took the law or the Constitution and mangled it and put it in their own hands. I, I can't say it better than Mark, but I also would like to say that uh, I think we've got too many people coming from the Ivy League schools, especially Harvard. Maybe we need a little diversity and get people from throughout the country who maybe attended small colleges like I did. Catawba. So it sounds like you're making Catawba. a new qualification. <laughs> Yes, let me finish here for a second. Yeah, please um, do. Um, <laughs> All right, so I'm not sure, but I think that exchange kind of got under Pat's skin. I think he, like, because you could tell it kind of derailed him, and then he had to kind of reset because he was right in the middle of a pivot. And when you're in a flow and you're pivoting and, like, you, and he nailed it, the pivot, you know, like, hey, I'm going to take this opportunity. Like, hey, good, you know, you said some good stuff. I agree. Now let me shift. And as soon as he shifts... He does it in a way that draws in both of his opponents, right? Like they actually participated in the conversation, but they're not supposed to. And it threw him, but it was effective. It was an effective pivot. And it threw him. I think that kind of rubbed him the wrong way. A little bit. Just a little bit. And I think maybe that might be why he kind of went after her later on. Our universities, our woke universities, we've lost our universities. And now that same wokeness is coming into our K-12 through schools. It's got to end. And that wokeness, we won't, we do not want to come anymore to the Supreme Court. It's taken over our society right now. The cancel culture and the woke culture, it's got to end. And maybe the first step is we've got enough Harvard people in the Supreme Court right now. Let's get some diversity of thought and let's follow the Constitution. All right. So remember, these people are going to be running against uh Sherry Beasley in the U.S. for the U.S. Senate seat. One of these people, maybe Ted Budd, but he wasn't there. I can't play his audio, but one of these people could very well go up against Sherry Beasley. Who do you want it to be? Who do you think would do the best job? Who would be the best candidate? That's what people have to decide, right? That's the point of this debate. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, the Pete Callender Show, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. We're going over the the Senate debate that was held on Saturday. Pat McCrory, Mark Walker, and Marjorie Eastman, three of the uh, four top candidates in the race. Ted Budd did not appear. They stuck a podium up there in case he arrived, but he did not. He was down in Florida at CPAC. Uh, next question that came up, is public education ripe for reform, and what role... Could Congress or should Congress play in that? And uh, Walker said he had introduced uh, some legislation to strip away the federal bureaucracy from education. Unfortunately, he could not get it passed even through his own party uh, up in Congress. Uh, McCrory said that he does not want the federal government t- 
taking over the schools. He says we saw parents taking it back in Virginia. Yeah, I do not want the federal government to take over our schools and tell them what to do. It, it belongs to the parents. And we saw this in Virginia recently. The parents in Virginia said, no more. We're not going to take it anymore. We're not going to let the teachers union determine our curriculum. It's got to stop. And um, we've lost our universities. We've got to regain our universities, start teaching about capitalism and the U.S. Constitution and things that are important to help people actually get jobs. That's why when I was governor, instead of throwing bonds into new student unions or into new football stadiums, guess what I did with the bonds that I initiated here in North Carolina? They're building new engineering buildings and science buildings and medical schools where there are actually real jobs that are available that America needs. The American dream. We need to start talking about the American dream in our schools, not dividing us and trying to balkanize us and separate us in our elementary schools and our universities. It's got to end. The strength of America, the strength of the American dream is the melting pot of America, the simulation of people of different races and different colors and different religions and different thoughts. Our universities Thank and our you, schools McCurry. are doing just the opposite, and that's got to end. We see what happens with you, balkanization in Europe right now. We do not want that to happen with liberal initiatives in America. Thank you, Mr. McCrory. All right. I thought I thought Pat did a good job on that answer. I thought he got he got impassioned about it. Right. And if the audience was permitted to cheer and clap, I'm sure he would have gotten a round of applause out of that. Um, the follow up question then was, what legislation would you propose? He said that at the federal level, Congress should encourage more choice. And uh, as he mentioned earlier, teaching skills so these people can get jobs. Um, Marjorie Eastman suggested Man, federal mandated civics. And where I think that our U.S. senator needs to put some weight and lean in is civics. We need to make sure our children are being taught nonfiction, not CRT. So that needs to be a focus from, the, from that seat as your U.S. senator, is that we make sure consistently across our country that children are taught to be proud because they need to remember. Do you remember the 13 names I read at the very beginning? I served next to men and women who gave their life for our country. They gave their life for this right here, freedom of speech. They gave their lives for us to, to live our American dreams. Our children need to be told those stories and they need to be proud of our country because they have every reason to be. Um, and then Mark Walker uh, answered with a bit of a dig at Pat. Pat, uh, it's not too late to be a teacher. You look pretty good. <laughs> so, yeah. so got some time there. Let me say, uh, it would, it would, I can make a call. So, yeah. <laughs> it would be a promotion for any of the jobs that we're seeking no, at this no point No question, in time. my friend. No question. Uh, listen, uh, you heard him just say about the federal government being very small. I want it to be so small you can't even see it. In fact, I want the federal government's role to be non-existent when it comes to parents educating their children. I, I have the same general consultant, Gavin Jeff Rowe, that ran Glenn Youngkin's campaign. That was the winning issue. Every now and then these crazy leftist radical actually say out loud what they believe. And when he said the parents do not have a responsibility in, in dictating or even advising on what their children should be taught, I think that's ludicrous. I talked about my A-plus act. Once again, I don't have to promise you we've delivered and will continue to do that as your next U.S. Senator. Since he referred to me briefly, I'll, I'll just say this, too. 
you got a career for me? We need to say this. Uh, there's a guy named George Soros that is spending billions of dollars, first of all, trying to get the Democratic nominee elected in North Carolina, but he's pouring billions of dollars and hundreds of millions of dollars into our education system, doing exactly what we want. Mr. Budd here, by the way, Soros was the majority owner of the Bud Company, Seed Company. People don't know that, but he was the majority. George Soros was the majority owner. He's not here to defend himself. That's his fault. But George Soros is trying to take down this country and our education system and our political system. And we've got to do everything we can to fight George Soros at this point in time. And Congressman Walker, I'm, I'm proud that you mentioned me as well. When he mentioned Yunkin, um, I actually have a nickname, too, that I've heard of at least. I've been called the North Carolina Yunkin because I'm listening to parents. I'm the fresh voice and the political outsider that wants to serve North Carolina. And in wrapping up this whole topic, I will absolutely keep education first, and I will always listen to parents. All right. I, I don't. I don't think that landed. I don't. I don't. There's a, I, I appreciate the effort to try to work it in that. You know, I'm the Yunkin. Who's the Yunkin? They people have called me, or so I've heard. This is my nickname, but it almost has the feel of I'm giving myself this nickname, and that's the the fundamental rule of nicknames is that you don't give yourself your own nickname, right? Like you don't say, I'm going to go by this nickname. Now it's just something that happens organically, naturally. It just somebody, you know, there's an event or there's something and somebody calls you in and it sticks and then that's it. Yeah. I just, it, yeah, it just, it didn't land. Um, but again, not a career politician. So, you know, maybe people are okay with that. People are going to say, well, that's endearing. We, we appreciate that. It makes her real. This is what they said about Trump, right? A lot of people were telling me that about Donald Trump when I was trying to figure out, like, what is he saying? What does he mean? They're like, oh, Pete, you're taking him too literally. You just got to take him seriously. And we like the fact that he doesn't speak in those, in, in those you know, politician ease uh, sentence structures and stuff. We, we like that. And, and maybe that's the case here. Uh, they got a question then about uh, raising the minimum wage. Uh, Mark Walker said, leave it up to the markets. McCrory said uh, he has always thought that it should be tied to uh, cost of living increases, much like uh, Social Security is tied to cost of living. Um, but he says the government's paying people not to work, and that's unacceptable. And uh, Marjorie Eastman said it's not a living wage. But the answer is to empower businesses. Um, so that's and nobody gave a precise number on what the minimum wage should be. The correct answer there is zero. Zero is the minimum wage. OK, uh, I know that's an Austrian economic kind of viewpoint. Anyway, uh, all right. We're going to do some news. And then when we come back, we're going to have um, the big fight that erupted. Between Eastman and McCrory, you'll get to hear it up next. Stay tuned.